I'm AJ Bianco, host of Reflect Ed, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Jean McCarty, and she is the CEO of OutTeach. OutTeach is helping schools turn outdoor spaces into science learning labs. Oh, this is so cool. This is so awesome. It's time to get the kids excited about learning outside the school building. You're going to love this. Thanks for listening. And oh, by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if uh, you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews, and uh, left a review, maybe five stars, and how about some nice words? Could you do that for me? That'd be so cool. You are awesome. Enjoy the show. It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests, and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Maletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dot Steve Maletto. Gene McCarty joined OutTeach as the first CEO in 2007. Since then, she has spent her days setting strategies, securing resources, and mobilizing as many people as she can towards their vision for all children, no matter their resources, to have access to a transformative, hands-on education. Together with a talented team and visionary board, they have grown OutTeach from a local nonprofit to a national organization that inspires and prepares hundreds of thousands of students to be thinkers, dreamers, and doers. A few years back, a national survey noted that kids in grades K through 3 were taught science for an average of just 18 minutes a day, compared with 89 minutes for English language arts and 57 minutes for math. OutTeach, a nonprofit, delivers personalized hands on training, collaborative partnerships, and easily accessible resources that help teachers recast everyday outdoor spaces into exciting labs. Gene joins me to talk about science instruction, specifically outdoor science learning, and why it is critical that more children have access to this kind of learning. Education is in her DNA. Jean grew up in the piney woods of Mississippi, where her parents and grandparents were educators. Her dad was most at home outdoors, and her earliest memories are days spent in his gardens and exploring creeks near their home. For more than 30 years, she has followed in their footsteps, yet forged her own path to bring real-world experiences to all students from kindergarten to college. Jean enjoys at the end of a long day sitting on the back porch with her family, especially in July when the bats and fireflies are out, or spending time on the couch with her family and the cats. Jean, thanks for joining me today, and say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining. Well, I'm so glad that you're here, and uh, and we got a whole bunch to talk about here. This is cool. And by the way, uh, that's so we're getting close to July. Got it's a bat time and firefly time. So that's that's neat. That's um, do you, do you, have you ever studied bats or anything like that? Or is it just something that you, you think is kind of cool? Oh, it's just something I think is cool. I don't study them, but I do have this little um, sonar attachment that I can put into my iPhone and listen to bats. Nice. Um, and I, I just love to do it. That's cool. That's very cool. I, um, fascinating creatures. I've uh, had them invade my home where. Yeah. Suddenly one flies in from the outside and is like, nice, I think you're all a little lost here. Let's get you out of here. And and, uh, and I much prefer watching them chase insects and things like that around a, a nice outside light or something. Uh, and if you've never experienced going to someplace like Carlsbad Caverns where they come out at night, that's a that's a cool thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been in Austin. I've watched them there and just love that so much. 
Nice. Very nice. Well, let's talk a little bit about OutTeach. I mean, what is it and how long has it been around and what's its purpose? Yeah, great. Well, I'd love to talk about OutTeach. Our organization was built with the future in mind. So we really envision an education system, especially early on, that inspires kids and prepares them to be our next generation workforce. So when we think about the future, we really need young people to be able to problem solve and think critically and be our innovators of the future. And so that's why we built OutTeach and that's what it's about. And so what we do are a couple of things. So one is we transform uh, schoolyards into real world labs where teachers can go outdoors and bring learning to life for students and especially in science. And in addition to building those, we also uh, coach and train teachers one-on-one. So they get the skills and the, and, and, you know, kind of, work closely with us to be able to teach outdoors. So it's very different uh, for teachers. You know, teachers aren't trained to take class outside. So we want to make sure that they can do that. And, you know, for us, it really is about science and science early on. You mentioned that statistic of 18 minutes of science a day. It's just not enough uh, to really get someone engaged in science. So we do that through the outdoors. And uh, yeah, that's what we're about, Stephen. That's so cool. I appreciate you sharing that. We, you know, it's uh, science is so important. And it, one of the things that's really cool about it is, you know, you automatically have built in permission to get messy <laughs> and, it, and you just got to take advantage of it, man. And, and, and here you're, you're helping them get outside and stop just being in the building. I like that. So tell me, why is science education important for elementary school students? I mean, what's the value of it? Yeah. So, you know, if you look at today's job market, the STEM job sector is growing faster than any other. So, you know, recent statistics, it's two times faster than all other job sectors combined. So there's a lot of opportunity there. And I think about the 50 million students we have in our public schools today. How can we create a path for them where they can take on these jobs of the future? So without science, you know, there is really no way to envision yourself as a scientist. And the way that we approach this is that we want kids just outdoors actually engaging and doing science. And if they can do science, they can see themselves as scientists of the future. And then even if for those children that don't take on kind of the, a STEM job or even, you know, want to consider that as an occupation, the problem solving skills and the critical thinking that come from science the ability to collect evidence and data, build arguments, all of these tools are and skills are needed for any career path a child may choose. You know, what's uh, really cool is that, uh, you know, just the process of introducing or getting a chance to experience or understand what you're talking about so that it's not just a word is a, is a cool thing because that's what you're doing there is giving that, that chance to experience. And uh, I love it, you know, nice. You know, OutTeach transforms outdoor spaces into real-world labs that bring science to life at its partner schools. Can you walk us through what this process looks like? I mean, what how's, how's this work? Oh, I'd love to, Stephen. So this is one of my favorite parts of our program. So when we are partnering with a school to build what we call an outdoor learning lab, we start with a design competition for students. And so every student in the school has an opportunity to kind of think about what do they want to see in their outdoor learning lab in their outdoor space? And they come up with some of the most creative ideas. Some we can execute, some we can't, and I'll share a little more about those. But um, we also work with teachers because these labs are really for teachers. And so we want to make sure we get their input too. 
understand what they're teaching, what they're struggling with, and what kind of outdoor features might help them um, you know, do their jobs better. And, um, you know, so that that's what we do. We work with students, we work with teachers. Um, then we put together a design uh, plan that we share with the school and the principal for feedback, come up with a final design, and then we show up. And so oftentimes it's with a corporate partner. We have amazing corporate partners that are really invested in building their future workforce. They'll bring out volunteers upwards to like 150 people show up in the morning. They see what looks like a blank canvas. So when they arrive, we've done a lot of pre-work, but it's like a blank canvas. And then we put them to work building arbors, vegetable beds, earth science stations, weather stations, all kind of things that then become an outdoor learning lab. Students come in throughout the day. So students come, like I was at a school in Texas last week and 800 students, every single one of them painted their own rock to put out into the outdoor learning lab. So we want them involved as well because this really is their space. And I mentioned the design competition. So in this, this at this build in Texas, for the first time, we built an outdoor life-size chessboard on the sidewalk. And this idea came from a student. We'd never done it before, and we just thought, let's do it. I mean, let's. this is a great idea. Let's see what happens. And so we, we taped it off. We worked with volunteers to paint it, and we found these um, large-size chess pieces. And so this school now in Texas has an outdoor learning lab with a full human-sized chessboard. So I can't wait to hear more about that. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. That's, that's so cool. You know, it, it's funny because, uh, you know, a lot of times what happens is that uh, it, even though adults mean well, they, uh, it becomes, you know, inside the building is all about the learning, the academic or the class itself. And outside is for, you know, run, be free, fly, <laughs> whatever. Um, we're actually... You know, they're, they're missing out on what's really cool is the stuff that really engages kids that's out there and then outside. And I, I mean, let's talk a little bit about how science learning is different when it's done outdoors. I mean, and, and can you just touch on a little bit about, you know, are kids losing out by leaving the classroom to have that science class outside? I mean, can you talk about that stuff? Sure. So, you know, if you think about it, life science, earth science, physical science, it all happens outdoors. And so why are we not out there learning about it in real time and, and really, you know, in that way that inspires awe and interest in students. So what we work with teachers to do, you know, you got to make teachers comfortable. So you can't just build it and expect them to come out. Like we really want them to be comfortable teaching outdoors and it's, and teaching science specifically, but also bringing in um, English language arts, bringing in math and integrating all those things together. So I can give you a couple of examples, I think, that might bring it to life. Um, I, I was talking to a teacher who had uh, gotten teacher of the year at his school in Texas, Mr. Harris, and he shared with me that his favorite lesson outside is uh, teaching about weathering and erosion. And so if you think about it, like weathering and erosion, so, you know, the way that teachers may bring that to life in the classroom is looking at pictures of the Grand Canyon or looking at videos of the Grand Canyon, but that's really not kind of relatable for students. So, you know, not not many students actually will, will even go and see the Grand Canyon. And it's just such a different example of erosion and weathering. So instead of that, we, you know, Mr. Harris and, and OutTeach with, with the teachers that we're working with, we show them how to go outdoors 
investigate and find examples of erosion on a schoolyard and then talk about it, watch it over time, see things happening in real time. And if you think about the careers of the future, those examples of erosion are what our builders, our architects, you know, are really going to need to understand. And also when children see that in kind of a real world setting that they can relate to, they start seeing it in their own yards. They start seeing it as they're walking around and it just solidifies that knowledge. So, you know, that's an example. Another example that's really simple is, I, I know we can all relate to this, but think about when you in second grade likely learned about the parts of a plant. So you got a worksheet, you had some kind of nondescript plant and you labeled the parts of the plant and then we're, you know, then you get tested on it. So it's so much easier to go outdoors and have young people actually pull up something, pull a weed, pull something up and really experience like why those roots are there holding that plant in place, what that structure of the plant um, is about and how it functions in a larger setting. So it's those things that are relatable, that create an experience that a kid can draw back on. Um, And then when it comes time to like, see if they really deeply understand it, they draw on those experiences. Um, So those are a couple of examples. I mean, I have so many because it's just, like I said, it's all happening outdoors. Um, So I could talk about this for days. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. There's, yes, it's, it, what's really cool too, is it kind of changes a kid's mindset a little bit when they're, they're going outside and they're going out there, but they're not, it, it, they're expected to kind of learn something about and pay attention to what's going on outside, not just, you know, you know be bopping all around or something like this. And it's, it's such a cool thing because it's, you know, you walk by it all the time and you may not have really paid attention to like, I mean, you know, one of my favorite things is to pay attention to, to the little critters like ants and stuff like this, because as they're moving from one place to another, or they're moving, whatever they're moving, or they've grabbed some giant dead grasshopper and they're trying to, push that thing into their, you know, into their living area. Yeah. And Stephen, I'll, I'll also add to like just the questions it stirs up for students, you know, so why does this plant grow more than this one? Why is, is there a crack in this rock? You know? And, and so it's that curiosity that you just have to go with. And that's how kids will relate to it. That's how they'll, they'll learn. That's how they'll get excited about education and then um, build upon that as they think about their, you know, what's possible for them in the future. Oh, you're so right. This is so awesome. Uh, by the way, you're making me want to go outside right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And our teachers too. So, you know, teachers tell me also like it just gives them that opportunity to be curious alongside their students. So this, you know, this isn't just good for students. This is also good for our teachers. And I think we are recognizing more and more that we need to find those opportunities that bring and a joy back into the teaching profession. So this is this is one of them. That's so cool. So so since you brought them up, uh, how does OutTeach prepare teachers to lead science learning outdoors? Because you got to do something about it. Because you know it's uh, you got to remind them about certain things. So how do you how do you get them ready to go do that? Yeah, sure. And you even mentioned you know if you go outside, like it's not about running loose. And so you know I think that sometimes teachers may think that's what their students will do. You know, and so we. We work very uh, closely with teachers. We have a coaching model. So we believe that on-the-job learning for teachers is just as critical as on-the-job learning for any of us. And so we're there with them side-by-side doing several things. So one is modeling lessons. So 
with their students during the school day, providing an example and showing them how you can teach using the outdoors. And in, in, while we're doing that, we're also modeling classroom management techniques, different things that we have honed over the years. Um, And so we're with those teachers, a group of teachers at a school over the course of a year doing this coaching. So we're planning with them. We're not giving them lesson plans. We're really saying, what are you, what do you need to teach? And then how can we either extend this or teach this better in an outdoor setting and then helping them plan so they can do this on their own after they're finished uh, without teach program. We also do some larger format training. So, you know, sometimes we'll pull an entire, um, you know, grade level together across a school district or partner with the district to work with their coaches. But, you know, we, we, train and coach in the way that we want teachers to educate students. So in a very hands-on experience-based way. And that is the way to really make sure that these outdoor spaces or any outdoor space is utilized for teaching. Yeah, it's so cool because one of the things that uh, a lot of, you know, it's unfortunate is a lot of times uh, great areas will go unused <laughs> because they're not thought of in that manner. And, and, and it's, you know, sometimes you get some outdoor amphitheaters or something like this that might get structured um, out of some grant or something like this, but there usually is just these different areas that are just perfect to look at. You know, um, you talk about erosion. I mean, where the water is coming down a side of a hill or something like this. And they, you know, maybe they didn't quite do the, uh, the, the pushing of the dirt around so that the water flows the right way. So now they've got these huge areas where that are, you know, the dirt's being pulled away and the plants are tumbling down the hill or something like this. Uh-huh. It's such cool stuff out there to, that they could learn from. So, yeah. And just think about the example you just gave. It's an opportunity to then problem solve the students. So why is this happening? What can we do to change it? Have them test have them, you know, monitor and try to create solutions. And so then what are they doing? They're being scientists. So, you know, it's much when they get to actually do science and not sit in the classroom and learn, you know, vocabulary, it just brings it to life and is so much more fun. So we haven't talked about that too. It's just so much more fun. Oh, definitely. So much more fun. So, yeah, this is, this is cool. So you got all this, this good stuff going on, you know, and, I got to say this, this seems like an appropriate time to bring this in. You know, one of the things that's really emphasized a lot in, in our world today is, is tech of some sort. You know, the, the idea, not that this is an anti-tech message that I'm about to say, but I mean, have you thought about, uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, looking at what's going on in the science classroom and stuff like this, that uh, there might be an overemphasis on some of the tech and, and robotics and things like this, you know, does it kind of take children's, you know, imagination or things like this away or does it have some impact on them? Can you talk about like that, that some? Yeah. Yeah. So there's several different things I'd like to um, respond to there. I mean, one is that, you know, there, there's this professor out of Indiana University, Adam Maltese, and I am obsessed with his research because what he looks at is um, National Science Foundation scientists that are funded. How did they come to science? And he makes the case that we have to have just a broad array of, you know, of things that occur for people to be interested in science. So when you get so focused on one way to do science like robotics, you are missing out on um, so many other kids that might 
come and be interested, you know, and come to science. Like I think about myself, like I always loved, you know, the outdoors and just spent so much time, like you said, in the, in the beginning, like just exploring creeks and watching ant beds also and spiders. And, you know, I can even put myself back in those moments, but it, that was disconnected uh, from what I was doing in the classroom. You know, I was learning about clouds by creating little cotton structures and and it would be so easy to just make take that one more step and connect this to science. So, you know, when when you get narrow on your focus, you aren't bringing in the just, you know, diversity of people that could be interested in science. It's so important to, to recognize because there's just so many things that, uh, especially as it, it can show, uh, you know, someone might really, really be their thing just to be, you know, messing around and poking and, and looking at the little, the little creatures that have created the little um, spirals in the side of a, of a pine tree and the bark and stuff like this. And they have these little colonies as you pull it away or, or, you know, when, and are they actually damaging the tree or are they, you know, good for it or, or what the same thing with all kinds of stuff, like the little aphids and stuff like that, that live on the other side of uh, leaves. And it's just such a, uh, to me, it just it helps expand. You know, it's it, one of the things that's mm-hmm. going on right now, you know, is uh, you can't help but notice the, um, yeah, the, this gentleman who's doing a lot of attempting to try and build his own rocket and, uh, well, he's built his rocket and, and uh, launching it into space and having to turn around and try and land and, and all kinds of stuff like that. And, you know, there's just cool stuff that comes out of, you know, your imagination. You never know what uh, it might spark with somebody who's watching something like that or getting a chance to mess with the bugs in the bark or whatever it is that it's, suddenly they start thinking, hey, I got some ideas about this. and becomes their thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I always think with young kids, it's, you have to bring science down to earth. I mean, you have to bring it to where they see it and they touch it and they feel it. You know, I can still think about, you know, when my, my son's 14 now, but when he was probably, you know, first or second grade, we were at the national zoo here in DC and it was at a time when the tent caterpillars were crawling. Nice. And so we were by the elephants and all of these other things. And he just wanted to sit and watch the tent caterpillars. And nice. I love him. You know, right. I I still have a picture of him that day. But I thought, you know, you have to go with what fascinates kids. And at that age, it's the things they can touch and, you know, use all of their senses to to engage with. That's so important. That's so cool, too. It's a, that's yeah. sorry. That's I can I could see that happening too. Uh, um, being at the, at the zoo and it's, it's a cool zoo, by the way, if no one's ever, if you've not been there and, uh, but uh, paying attention to the the other little critters that are there. Nice. Yeah. I called it, I called it tent caterpillars, Trump, big game. I mean, it was, <laughs> nice, nice. it was wonderful. Tiger's like, pay attention to me, man. Not those things. What are you doing? <laughs> I like that. Uh, you know, yeah. so uh, let's talk a, uh, you know, this kind of lends, lends itself to this next part where I'm going, which is how does OutTeach make a concerted effort to have its programs reach girls and those in underserved communities? Yeah, so so going back to the research of Dr. Maltese, when you look at how he kind of charts out an interest in science, the top two categories that bring girls to science are an interaction with nature and some experience outdoors and a teacher. And so by design, we are... Um, creating opportunities for girls to become more interested in science. 
And then we do other things. So there, there are partnerships we have. We've worked with uh, a group called the If Then Collection, and it features women scientists uh, telling their stories. They're mostly, um, they're all women, a lot of women of color scientists. And so we think it's important to partner with them and bring that work into ours. So uh, students can see scientists that look like them. And in an outdoor classroom just recently, we actually experimented. This is the first time too. We're doing a lot of firsts this month, but we also put um, an outdoor mirror in place that says, this is what a scientist looks like. And I nice. just got pictures of the girls going through uh, that part of the outdoor classroom. So, you know, it's about what may interest and bring them in, what is relatable, and then kind of what they can envision for themselves in the future. That's really cool because that's one of the things that, uh, you know, it, if you were a child whose parents took time to spend time or, you know, you had a family structure that lent itself to the ability to do this stuff, um, if they don't have that those experiences, being able to create it for them because just what it generates are just like you said, just cool thoughts about looking in the mirror and, hey, I could be a scientist. That's that's right. I could. And who knows what they might uh, generate someday at uh, one of those uh, from a science fair to wherever it goes from there type of thing that uh, might solve some of the problems we have, which I love that. So good stuff. I mean, so how do schools find you? I mean, how do you find them? I mean, how do you guys, how do you you know, what's, what's it look like as you start trying to set up a program? I mean, does someone call you up and say, you know, I was a I was a history teacher. I, I studied to be middle school science and just focused on high school on uh, high school history instead. But uh, they just call you up. The teacher call you up and say, hey, I'd like to do this. What, how does that work? Yeah, so it's a lot of different ways. I mean, we have some uh, partnerships with school districts across the country. And so a lot of times we're working with district leaders to make sure that we can implement um, across a school district. And then we also have schools and teachers that reach out to us and we uh, find ways to make it possible to work together. So, you know, in this last year, we've had uh, communities of teachers come together across the country uh, that we're working with um, and also just large kind of district-wide partnerships with school districts that really want to change what science education looks like for them. Very cool. The, you know, so let's let's talk about, uh, can you give us an example of what a real-world outdoor learning um, can happen in an inner city setting and, and possibly look at a rural remote location as well. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, I can. I mean, I think that, you know, it, it can look very similar. We all share the same sky. You know, we all have kind of the things that are growing around us. And so, you know, it's, it's really possible in any location and any patch of grass or sidewalk even that you can use the outdoors to teach. So during COVID even when students were at home, we worked with teachers to have students do things even from their windows if it wasn't safe for them to go outdoors or their parents you know, weren't, weren't home. But you can find an opportunity anywhere to, to learn at any time of the year too, because I often get asked about you know the winter but science is happening then as well. So there's there's just opportunities everywhere. Um, the examples I gave you earlier, erosion, parts of a plant, all of that um, you can teach in an outdoor setting. That's so cool. You know, it's uh, there's all kinds of different uh, aspects to it. I was watching something the other day where uh, um, on the show they were talking about having to recreate oyster beds and things like this that have been killed off by uh, um, oil 
that had been generated uh, um, over the years in this area. And um, it was real cool because they had kids who got to spend time helping to figure out how to put those oysters <laughs> start them back you know thriving and living again and uh and it's it's just neat the different types of uh focus that you can have in something like this I mean, yeah so that's so, an incredible opportunity i mean i think that's that's a great opportunity of a hands-on kind of work together you know and and when I, when i think about just what we all share so you know even studying things like the earth's rotation you know you just need you need something very simple that where you can watch kind of a shadow over time. And that can be done anywhere. It's not, I think there's, there's often this thought that you need acres and acres of wilderness, but you don't. You get that right. Not at all. Just uh, create the spark within the teacher, create the spark within the child and uh, watch the magic happen. So I think it's, it's Mm -hmm. cool what you can generate from what you're talking about. So good stuff. You know, Gene, if someone, you know, we're, we're about to finish up and uh, if someone wanted to follow up and connect with you and, learn more, where would you send them? Yeah. So I'd first, I'd send them to our website and I'd say, you know, go in and sign up through there so we can keep in touch with them and share kind of opportunities that are happening in their community. Also find us on social media and interact with us on social media. So we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as OutTeachEd and OutTeach Education. And we're always looking for stories of teachers that are, you know, doing this kind of work, whether they're without teach or not. So we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what's working in, in your schools as well. Very cool. And I'll have that information in my show notes so it's easy for them to find and reach out to you. So good stuff. I got two last questions that I'd like to ask you and I have just... I like to ask my guests these questions. And the first one is, how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? It's a great question because so much is going on. But I think for me, it's it's really two things. So one, it's when I see the impact in action. So really getting out in schools and seeing kind of the difference that we're making, not just with students, but also with teachers, particularly at this time. So it's a teacher that can say, you know, I've been teaching for 30 years and this is the most inspiring training that I've ever had. That, you know, that keeps me going because that's what we're here about. And then, you know, it's also, I'm always uh, really challenged by, you know, thinking about how to grow and do more because I think every school should have these opportunities. So, you know, that that's a challenge ahead and that kind of keeps me interested and engaged. That is so cool. Uh, great, great thoughts there. I, uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? So... I have so many teachers. So, so many teachers I think about. So from Miss Lois Rogers in my high school English teacher to Marjorie Spruill, who was one of my professors at college. But I think that the teacher who impacted me most is my dad. So my dad was a professor of history in um, at the University of Southern Mississippi. He grew up in Mississippi. He went away and got his PhD and came back and just felt a real drive to educate you know, he always says, I'm about educating the students here in Mississippi. And what he really taught me was just to love learning. I mean, I think that for him, education was more than just, you know, a path to economic self-determination, but it was also a way to have a good life. You know, he said, there's always something to learn. And so, you know, I just caught that spark from him. And so it's what has driven me throughout my career. It's what drives me in my life. And so I think that, you know, I'd have to thank my dad. 
That is so awesome. Thank you so much. Gene, uh, thanks so much for talking with me. OutTeach has such an awesome focus, learning science in the outdoors. Okay, that's so cool. I, mean, that's, <laughs> I just love it. I mean, getting, getting messy and, uh, and learning and watching and, and becoming part of, you know, maybe solving some problem that the adults hadn't figured out how to do, do yet. Uh, that, that, that kid's going to be the one to do it, does it, thanks to you. Um, wishing you success in everything you do. Thank you so much, Stephen, and thanks, everybody. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.